Welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. This is episode number 347, and our guest is Kyle Camp. Kyle, as you'll hear, is a nutritionist, uh, and you may be familiar with Kyle. He's been on our podcast, oh, going back four years ago, and since then has been on a ton of other podcasts and uh, is active in the hunting space as well. And Kyle helps people um, with nutrition, both for performance in the backcountry as well as day-to-day life. And going back to when he was on our podcast initially, he was just starting Volley to Peak Nutrition, and he also partnered with us at that time to help give away what we call the Backcountry Fuel Guide. And the purpose of that guide was to help you plan for trips into the backcountry. The needs that you have for nutrition in the backcountry on a demanding hunt are different than your needs for the day-to-day. And so how much food should you bring and what types of food should you bring if you're concerned with performing at your best day after day on a long hunt? Those are the questions we answered with Kyle, and he's back today to give us kind of an update. It's been four years, and I was curious to hear from Kyle what things he's learned since then, uh, maybe any of the science that has changed. We dive into that, and then we dive into an update to the Backcountry Fuel Guide, which you guys will hear about in the show and can also get in the link in the show description. So if you go to that show description and look for the Backcountry Fuel Guide, it'll take you over to the EXO site and you can get that guide for free. And once again, the purpose there is to help you plan nutrition for your hunts on purpose so that you can perform at your best. You'll also find links in the show description to other resources from Kyle. He's constantly sharing really valuable information on social media and more. So look for that. But right now, let's dive into this conversation with Kyle Camp of Volley to Peak Nutrition. Kyle, welcome back to the Hunt Back Country podcast. Man, I'm excited to chat today. I was uh, a bit kind of surprised, kind of not surprised when I went back and realized we first had you on in episode 124, which is like four years ago. I feel like I've on one hand known you for a really long time. And then the other hand, I'm like, gosh, was it really that long ago that we did this podcast? It ha- it's been, it's been a long time. I, I had to look back too, and I, it's hard to believe that it's been four years because I feel the same way. I feel like it's been a lot longer than that, which either means we're both really, we're both really good friends to each other, or we're both lousy friends to each other. And this just seems like it's dragging on forever. <laughs> oh, that's funny, man. So that's, uh, yeah, that podcast was so, um, I don't know. It was so helpful for me at that time. And I know you've been on a ton of podcasts since, uh, and then now even have your own podcast, which I've then been on. So that may be news to people if, um, if they follow you a little bit, uh, but maybe haven't heard from you a while or didn't realize you had a podcast. Definitely would encourage people to check that out real quick. What is the name of it? Is is it just the Volley to Peak Nutrition Podcast? Yeah, we got really creative with it. It's just like yeah, it. the Valley to Peak Nutrition Podcast. Cool. So if we if we just skipped ahead and no one's heard an episode with you four years ago, or what is probably the dozens of podcasts you recorded with many different uh, podcast makers or producers, whatever the right word is, since then, um, can you back up and like? This is somebody, the first time hearing about Kyle Camp, who you are, what you do, uh, and just kind of give a quick introduction. Yeah, sure. So 
Uh, Kyle Camp. I'm a I'm a dietitian by training. So you know, went to school to to get my certification to be a right, registered dietitian. Worked at a hospital for a long time, uh, and then actually the you know that podcast. I don't know. I, you know, I've told this story a few times. I don't know how many people who may or may not have heard it, but Valley to Peak was really never a thing prior to the podcast with you guys four years ago. And we recorded the podcast, I think it was in February. It was going to be launched in mid-May. And from February to mid-May is kind of when you and I developed our friendship and largely because I was bugging the crap out of you about like, hey, I'd really like to get an email address. So if guys did have questions after listening to the podcast, they could email me. And I don't really want it to be a Gmail account because I want them to have confidence that it's like, you know, they're emailing a professional. It's not just some guy in his mom's basement. And so, <laughs> I mean, that that conversation, as simple as it sounds, you know, rolled into buying a domain for 12 bucks, getting an email address, starting a business and leaving my job at the hospital a year ago. So now I, uh, I run Valley to Peak full time. And really, the it's kind of two arms and the best way to take those two arms of the business and condense it into one simple statement would be that you know, my, my main job is helping people both prepare for and perform optimally in the mountains. And that, of course, started with guys doing backcountry hunts and, you know, was anything from simple weekend stuff locally to uh, guys doing 10 plus days in, you know, Chugach Mountains chasing cheap. So it's evolved over time uh, to still include that, largely that, but also a lot of backpacking stuff. And uh, even this is exciting, but even kind of developed into helping guys plan for and prepare for trips to big mountains, like in the Himalayas and Nepal and uh, Kilimanjaro and uh, some of the other stuff. So yeah, it's, it's a it's a, as you can imagine, it is as cool as it sounds and I love it. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's kind of an introduction to to the background of Valley to Peak and, and what I do now. It's so funny. I remember that conversation, right? I think I need an email address, like an actual email address. And then now here we are four years later and you have a business and know that credit goes to the podcast. That's maybe what forced you to like go down that road, but you're, you're the one that's done all the work for sure. Um, and just super exciting to see how that's grown for you. It, I feel like that podcast was also the origins of the gummy bear revolution in many ways. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it was. And, and I mean, even to back up, I know that we have like something we actually want to talk about, but I would be, I would, I would feel, I would feel, uh, I don't, I don't want to say remiss. That sounds so professional, but I'll use it just cause I'm blanking. I would feel remiss not to credit you and Steve and the podcast because truly, yes, it was the catalyst to me getting an email address, which evolved into a business and now my full-time job. But, you know, just the invitation to have me on and the support that you guys and the whole community showed me is no question what allowed the business to grow to the point of me able to, to leave my full-time job. So I disagree saying it's of no credit to you guys because it, it, it 100% is. And that podcast was the start of Gummy Bears because I think to that point, no one had heard someone with a quote unquote nutrition, you know, background and credentials say, hey, go eat something that most of us perceive as trash and then call it fuel for a workout. And then lo and behold, you know, uh, 
people started doing it and people started saying there's something to this and you know more and more people started doing it and finding more and more there's something to this and that's not like a proprietary thing to me right i mean you went and you bought gummy bears you tried it it's just the way science works which is why i love i love the field of nutrition yeah (laughs) i think the we had like a like a teaser snippet of that podcast like before the intro music and everything and i think it was a quote of me saying which was from our conversation if there's a nutritionist who can tell me to eat gummy bears, like I'm on board, something like that. Um, yeah. And it's funny now, just like seeing it throughout social media and the hunting industry is like, guys will talk about gummy bears. And then, you know, we get into fights, like I'm team Haribo and Steve is team black forest and stuff like that. It's funny how the gummy bears have become a thing, I think. And it really goes back to that. <laughs> it's just funny to see that. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, everybody who onboards with us gets a welcome packet and in that welcome packet's a shirt. And so like every shirt since the first one we printed four years ago, this is powered by preparation, education, and gummy bears. So, you know, I've got like every iteration of that shirt, which is multiple colors. It's my quote unquote office wear. And so sometimes I'll work outside of my house and wear that in public. And it's inevitable that someone's like gummy bears, tell me the story. (laughs) So it's turned out to be like that simple conversation and statement has just been, it's been fun. It's been great. And it's allowed me to talk to all kinds of people about the power of Haribo or black force or any brand for that matter of gummy bears. Yeah. I discovered Albanese because of the podcast and talking about gummy bears, which are also fantastic. I had, so I think it was a week ago or two weeks ago, a guy from the Midwest find in this small corner grocery store, like this proprietary brand that makes their own gummy bears. He shipped me two packages of them. So really, I think, yeah, I think like I've had people from Germany send me some. So I've had just this <laughs> abundance of different flavors and I've not found one that disappoints me yet. That's funny. Um, so I'm curious and we're going to kind of back up and talk some of the basics. Um, I don't know the right way to phrase this question. Like what do I, what I want to ask you, Kyle is what, if anything has changed since then? Um, And maybe nothing's changed in the sense of like, you still essentially believe what you believe about nutrition or what have you. So if that's not a fair question of like, what's changed, maybe something else is what have you found yourself needing to like re-clarify for people on a consistent basis, like in the, and I'm, I'm sure there's several things that come to mind, but like in the years since the first podcast and now you're working with a ton more people. Um, yeah, I, I kind of threw an, a non-concrete question at you, but what came to mind as I rambled? It's two things. And it's a really good question because I, I think like it would be foolish of me to be... Um, have my heels dug in so much to be immovable and inflexible either on my ideas or not acknowledging the fact that sometimes science changes. And that's not necessarily that science changes. It's just that we learn more. The interesting thing though, is, is that I would say the thing that has changed the most is nothing to do uh, with science. It's really working with people. So number one is working with people in general, (laughs) in the sense of, you know, there, there is a, like the, the terminology or the phrasing that I use a lot in the program is there's optimal and then there's practical. And sometimes you get folks who are in my position who are, you know, they're a dietitian and they're so bent on recommending what's optimal that they can't see through the fact that sometimes that's not practical for someone. 
And so in, in the, the coolest part about my job is because my relationship with each client is strung out over four to six months, sometimes longer. I've got someone in the program now has been in two and a half years. It's not because he hasn't learned. It's just because we keep changing the goals and he keeps having different adventures and he needs, he wants guidance on that. So we keep doing it. So in my relationship with people is I can tell them, or we can have these conversation of, okay, here's what science says. Here's what's optimal. Here's where you are. Let's maybe find what's practical, meaning where you're at might not be serving the purpose or the intention of what you want. I recognize that doing optimally week in, week out would be a real challenge, but maybe we can find some middle ground there. And that was really only something that you can have in conversation. And I think we're going to talk about the guide in a minute, but that's what's hard about building a guide for the masses even is like there are some optimal, there are some general and practical recommendations, but it's not going to be a one size fits all. And it really is a matter of taking that and and tailoring it to you, playing with it a little bit and realizing really what you're trying to find is that balance between where you're at, which is really maybe not got what got you what you want. Versus, you know, here's what the best solution is, but recognizing maybe you can't get there, what's in the middle. And then the second thing to that is in, in alignment with our gummy bear conversation is we humans, and I've only learned this in working with so many people, we tend to live in polarizations, meaning on one end of the spectrum is one thought. And then on the other end of the spectrum is another thought. And then there's this gap in the middle that none of us want to acknowledge. And so when people have heard me say things like, okay, you'd like to lose 20 pounds before you go on this big trip in Alaska in six months. That's great. Let's just begin with having you track your total intake, make sure that everything fits within the confines of what your goals are, but you can still enjoy the foods that you want. There's no list of good foods. There's no list of bad foods. You can enjoy anything that you want. And so what, where, where the struggle lies is then they they'll do that but then they'll let's say that they get hungry and so we've had to regenerate this conversation of saying okay let me back up a little bit you can have anything you want but there is immense value in choosing foods that most of us would associate with greater nutrient density or you know the word that most of us would use would be quote unquote healthy food but there's this balance that can be also struck that says if you're kids going out for pizza on Friday, this isn't a plan where you can't be a part of that. You still can be, right? So there's this polarization of everything healthy, nothing that seems quote unquote bad or the opposite in where, which would be, you know, we do nothing at all. We eat whatever we want. As long as it fits in our calorie goals, we can go for it. But in reality, there's this practical solution in the middle that says, yeah, you can make allotments for these special occasions. And if you want something every day, you could have it. But there is value in performance and there is value in satiety and hunger and overall quality of life and prevention of chronic disease by making 80% plus of these foods from good quality foods as well. So, you know, a lot of what my conversations with people end up being is, okay, let's talk about balancing these in a way that moves you from where you were when you first reached out to moving you towards the doll sheep hump in six months, 20 pounds lighter, without you having to live in the middle, starving, miserable with no energy and feeling like you can't be a part of any social situation because you're on such a restrictive program that it doesn't allow you to even be able to move unless you're in your kitchen in terms of actual make nutrition choices. So I would say, you know, that's a very long winded way of saying what's changed over time is 
me understanding people and understanding that you have to work with what people are willing to do as opposed to bearing your heels down and saying, this is what the book says. This is what you have to do. Everything needs to be tailored to the person. If we talk about, like you mentioned that, or there's no such thing as like really a, a bad food, like you can fit almost anything into a plan and still achieve your goals, obviously at, you know, certain quantities and you need to be flexible enough to go enjoy the birthday party. And whether that means eating a piece of pizza or two, or whether it means eating that piece of cake, you know, for the special occasion, et cetera. Do you, do you run into like clients who just can't do that? Like from a, I feel like this is almost a, not a nutritional issue anymore. It's more of a, like a psychological issue, maybe based on their past like habits. Um, but do you work with people who maybe they flat out say like, no, I can't do that. Like I, if I'm on track and doing good on a day-to-day basis, like eating that one piece of cake is going to like push me off the bandwagon. The only thing that comes to mind, and I don't say this to make light of someone's situation, but like the only thing that comes to mind is like an alcoholic who truly needs to avoid all exposure to alcohol. Um, Is there like a similar thing there for nutrition for some people? Yeah, I would say I would say it's twofold. So they're on one end of the spectrum. It's like you highlighted, you know, any exposure to something that is, let's just call it a trigger, causes them to spiral downward and be unable to control that. And in some scenarios, and this is this is sort of like this is us having that dialogue with each other, trying to figure out, okay, well, what's going to be the best for you? And if you're telling me that even small exposures on infrequent occasions is going to cause you just to completely spiral out of control, which by the way, after these conversations, I very seldom find that's the case, then it might be better for you just to simply not have it at all. The other end of the spectrum is when someone starts to see glimmers of success, like the weight coming off, their performance is simultaneously improving after having had been on, you know, some, some kind of previous plan where their performance was terrible, even if progress was improving, they struggle then to find any balance away from quote unquote healthy foods. And, you know, that sounds like, oh, well, that's great. Good for them. They're making strides. They are making strides, but... In the, in the years that I've done this, both in the hospital setting, when I helped coordinate an outpatient program here in Boise, and as well as this, I almost always find that those folks generally are not still following any type of structure a year later because they were so rigid, right? And so if you, if you, if you don't learn that flexibility and really like the, you know, the MO of our program is the best way for you to maintain and manage the work that you invest is to understand how it came off. And when I first started this many years ago, I would do like the typical dietitian thing, write someone a meal plan, they would go follow the meal plan, they would be successful, but I was the only guy who knew why they were successful. And so I started to feel kind of like this human meal replacement bar where every month they had to come back every month they had to come back because I, because I was the only guy that knew and, and I, you know, like, I I guess it's a good business model, but it didn't make me feel good. I wanted people to know what I knew. And, and, you know, for, for backstory, maybe I should have included this earlier, but about 15 years ago, I lost 140 pounds, which is what made me want to go to school and become a dietitian and do this for a living. So the, the impetus for me is I want you to know what I learned so you can realize how simple this really is. And it provides you the flexibility to go to a birthday party or to, you know, go to uh, my son's getting ready to start preschool and they have 
mommy muffin day and daddy donut day. I'm there's no way I'm going to miss that. But you know, if like if I'm trying to hit a personal goal, how how do I include that as a part of my personal goal in, in terms of the week? So, um, yeah, I find it I find it on two ends. One, it's exactly like you said, where someone feels like any exposure to that that food would trigger them to be out of control and. I find that very seldom to be the case. I made that comment earlier, and that's largely because we're interacting weekly, right? So they realize there's a target. They know there's accountability. They know there's someone that's going to be following up with them. And so as they start to sort of ease into, okay, this food may not be good for me in huge quantities, but what's a good quantity, right? If if I'm used to eating an entire package of Oreos, What's is is it harmful for me to throw two in a day even, right? What's that look like? And so what happens is you start to expose them to that. They see this is doable. It's not quite as scary. It's not a trigger point whenever I've got some sort of an accountability system in place. And that accountability system is is temporary with the idea of we learn about nutrition for a period of time with the end goal being at graduation, once someone leaves the program, they have the skills needed that they can be on their own and maintain and manage it long-term. The one thing I think is unique about you, Kyle, is your, uh, like you're just level-headed in your approach. And then that like boils down to like at the very nitty gritty level products and things like that. Um, I'm personally aware of some nutritionists who do things similar to you, but then like on the side, they're also recommending to their clients, like you need to be on this, like, get these vitamins, do this thing. Like they're essentially affiliates to making money on the side by selling anything. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm wrong, but you don't like sell or really recommend anything specific. Do you? Other than knowledge. (laughs) I don't, I, I don't. Yes. And so that's, there's two reasons. One, I have always felt like, and I'm going to use this terminology. It's, it's a little Frank, but I don't necessarily mean it. I've always felt like if I sell out to that, no one can trust what I say. And to me, I would rather be able to give good information to huge amounts of people that they feel is trustworthy because there's nothing for it. There's nothing in it for me, right? There's there's no affiliate. I'm not making money by suggesting something, nothing like that. So I've always felt like if I can remain independent without any affiliates and making money on the side, recommending certain products for people, people will see that and see trustworthiness. And that to me is more important than making a nickel on every sale of some supplement that marginally works, which brings me to point two. When I look at, I'm a very logical, (laughs) logically minded guy, which isn't always good, but it serves me well here. When I look at research and data in terms of nutrition and in terms of performance nutrition and in terms of supplements, when you, when even whenever a study says, okay, there's statistical evidence that supports using this supplement will provide benefit. You have to understand statistics and studies. And when you read deeper in that, I'm asking myself, is this statistical difference, even if it's beneficial, is it enough that's going to be a game changer for the average person to where it's showing a meaningful benefit that they would really find value in taking this because it'll just change their overall perspective. They'll be able to go longer in the mountains. They'll be able to go faster in the mountains. They'll be able to retain more muscle, whatever, any of those things. I've not found anything where it's just like, okay, taking this will be the absolute game changer for a single individual. 
the only place that I have found that to be true is depending upon what a person's overall goal is, matching the calories to that, whether that's putting on muscle, losing weight, or maintaining their current weight while trying to improve performance. And then depending on that performance piece, detailing out where those calories are coming from, meaning what percentages are they allocating to carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. Beyond that, and general nutrition advice, there is not a lot out there that will provide any sort of a benefit, which goes back to point one. Why would I be affiliate to anything that doesn't work? You know, my name is attached to that and 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 I I just I do not want to be in that category of again, a frank term, a harsh term, and I don't mean it as such, but I don't want to be known as a sellout who's like, yeah, this guy's just getting money because this guy's affiliating a supplement because he's getting money from it. I'd rather remain independent and provide trustworthy advice. And people don't have to second guess what's coming out of my mouth because I'm not getting money from anyone. Now, I, I do want to clarify though, like, you know, so whey protein, good example, that is considered a supplement. It is protein. It will promote muscle growth. So, there are things like that that quote unquote work, but in my mind too, even along that lines, there is no advantage to like a whey protein over eating four ounces of lean venison either. So there are supplements that work simply because they are what they say they are, but you can also get those from food. And if that's the case, again, I've not found anything beyond that that something you can't get from food would justify me pushing it. Mm. Or like, I don't even think you saying like some weight protein could help in a person's goals, but more this one and only weight protein is the one and only that's truly good or truly quality or whatever. And obviously there are different qualities and some have more junk than others and some have more additives than others, but you're not like saying you must go buy XYZ weight protein to truly get any benefit from weight protein. Yeah. And I think part of that comes just from my training in the hospital. When you're working in populations who literally have no income and they need supplements for part of their chronic health issues, like supplement being, meaning, you know, they need some sort of a drink that has carbs and protein in it because they're a cancer patient losing weight. And I'm spent years trying to find how can we mitigate this? And so you take something, I won't name the product, but there's a certain product often recommended by medical communities in that scenario to help people gain weight. And if you look at the nutrition profile, your average two gallon jug of chocolate milk mirrors that nutrition profile. So if I have someone with no income and I'm trying to sell, you know, instead of telling them you need to go pay something that's $2 a bottle, by the way, you need to drink four of these a day for forever, for the next six months, next year, forever. That is a significant financial blow to a lot of people. Or I could say, hey, two bucks, go buy a gallon of this chocolate milk, drink four cups out of it every day, and you'll begin to gain weight, which will mitigate a lot of the problems that you that have come up with your weight loss. So yeah, same thing. I, I you know, I, I struggle to recommend stuff that doesn't work. <laughs> so on on that idea of like, call it supplements, and the whether we talk about hunting specifically, or the outdoor market from a, a broader level. Um, anyone who's involved in those activities or pursuits is not immune from being marketed to um, by either supplements or what I would label as like performance foods. And I say that in quotes, 
so and what so that is like one issue alone the other issue i think i see with that that doesn't make sense to me is not only is there such a thing as like performance foods or maybe there is but you could buy gummy bears instead for example the other thing i i feel like guys like shoot themselves in the foot with is that they they get things like this like this fancy supplement this fancy performance food and it's something new to them that they then try on a trip that they haven't tried before. And I think that's like playing Russian roulette with you may be fine or you may actually be doing way more harm to yourself by trying to do this quote unquote like performance strategy on something that you haven't tested. Um, so can you maybe talk a little bit? I know, again, I threw a lot at you, but um, talk a little bit about that idea. Yeah. W- which part specifically just not Both. testing something before you go, whatever, <laughs> how it depends how much trouble you feel like getting in. I think <laughs> I already feel like I've dug a hole. Um, yeah. So, so the, you know, as far as the trialing things before you go, uh, piece of that, you know, that is rule number one, even whenever I'm, you know, working with someone, I, even with my own recommendations, because yes, there's, there is the science says this piece of things, and then there's what's actually going to work. And, you know, the, the difference between that and why the gap is so big is because we're all so different, right? And, and then you start adding factors in involved with the backcountry. And prime example of this would be higher altitude, higher output, higher heat, the fact that you've got a, you know, a, a belt sensed around your stomach with 20, 30 pounds pulling on it for the most part, all of these factors are going to affect you, right? And so one of the biggest ways is when you've got a high output, your body's going to be pushing blood to the legs, which generally means it's robbing blood from going to the gut, which generally means it's going to cause indigestion. So if you try something in your kitchen and it sits fine with you, it's not going to mean that it's going to being a linear effect whenever you're in the backcountry and you start throwing all of these other things in. So yes, the absolute best thing that you could do after you build a plan is to try it. And you can try that on an overnight or you can try that on going out for five, six, seven hours on a Saturday, putting in 10, 15 miles on the trail, eating at regular intervals and with a pack on and seeing how does this sit with me? And this is especially true of supplements, right? And so if you want me to, we can dabble into the marketing piece of things. But if you take one, one thing that one of the best things that I got from my education is really understanding what individual ingredients do in the body and in terms of, of metabolism. And when you evaluate a lot of these supplements, and I most certainly will include the um, hunting brand performance supplements in this category, the doses um, at which they're putting a lot of these ingredients in are in so high quantities. Number one, you're not absorbing most of them. Number two, it could precipitate some potential issues. Prime example, if no one's trying any kind of a, uh, let's say, let's say they like a pre-workout or they like a certain um, hydration powder of some kind, companies have often started putting in high doses of the B vitamins in there. Well, 
you only you only absorb so many until you reach a saturation point and then you lose some because they're a water soluble vitamin but aside from that sometimes they are in such high doses you can experience a a, a problem so for example if a guy's never tried that gets out there he drinks a bunch of it it's got high doses of vitamin b3 which is niacin you'll start to get a tingling feeling and that guy's going to be off the mountain thinking he's got a real problem when in reality it's just a byproduct of of too much vitamin b3 it's called a niacin flush and if you hadn't tried that beforehand, or if you didn't understand what that was, or you didn't look at the package and realize that there's just crazy high doses of some of these things that are not only not doing anything for you, that could have counterproductive results, it's, it's, you're wasting your time, right? And your money. So I don't know if that answers the question or not, but yes, I would certainly, you know, I would certainly, number one, anything you try, whether it's, whether it's a hundred percent food food no supplements or supplements try those before you go but number two i would really just be a responsible buyer and say okay what is in this right what is in this what are all of these words and do they do anything for me and i i um i can't tell you how many folks i've worked with what's interesting is like you'll get in a forum and people will rave about a product and a brand and blah 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 and then I work with them and they're like, you know what? I don't see any effect. <laughs> yeah, you get in these private conversations and the honesty comes out. And so if that's the case, don't take it. But on the flip side of that, if someone does take a product and they say, you know what? Science doesn't support this at all. You're telling me I'm wasting my money, but I have felt like a completely renewed and different person since I started taking this. I would tell that person, then you should ignore me and you should keep taking it. If you genuinely feel like this is a game changer for you, you should keep doing it, assuming it's not harming you. I'm not saying everything is uh, like false placebo, but it when you just said that, it reminded me, I listened to a podcast just recently that was talking about um, placebo effect and some of the studies that have been done um, on even people who take what is a known placebo but still receive call it non-subjective benefits from that um, and it has to do with like kind of like your mind-body connection and basically the I don't want to say tricks that your mind plays on the body but um, you know basically there's something to your your body doing things even physiologically as a response to something that your mind believes even if your mind's believing it on a false premise if that makes sense yeah it's pretty it fascinating makes, it makes 100 i think a um hold on, i'm doing a calculation before i made this point because when you started talking about it it made me think of calculate away product okay so it, it what makes me think i think a prime example of this is caffeine caffeine well published a good ergogenic aid ergogenic aid is is the fancy word that we use in my world to basically say this is provides benefit and performance nutrition but when you start to read out what's the true advantage of caffeine for people whenever they take it what's the ergogenic effect what's the value how does it enhance performance it's mostly in your mind right i mean you all of a sudden get ramped up which gives you a boost of energy but there's no transfer of additional energy like it's not like all of a sudden you've metabolized more sugar for the muscles it's not like you've given more protein for extra growth it simply is your mind is more alert so you're able to engage in the activity which probably means you're going to be able to push a little bit harder it's not it's not giving you any physical benefit right and the in this so that's 
part one of the placebo, even though it shows value. Part two of the placebo is many people will take some sort of caffeine, right? They'll drink a cup of coffee, they'll go work out, and they'll just claim it to be this game changer. But when you look at the actual studies and, well, what's the dose? How much caffeine do you actually need to see the value that they're saying? It's generally a range that means a lot of coffee before working out, right? So you take your average 200 pound person and they're suggesting roughly 450 plus milligrams of caffeine in the hours before they work out, in the minutes before they work out, which is the equivalent of several cups of coffee, four or five cups of coffee before they work out. So you've got one guy pounding a shot of espresso who claims just this tremendous boost of performance, but he's really not even at the threshold that, you know, they generally suggest you start to see improvement in performance, which again goes back to the fact of just how powerful our mind is, which you could then argue that if we just mentally engage and challenge ourselves with enough, with enough, um, uh, frequency, we would be able to stay in that same that same mindset of trying to push ourselves and see that type of performance benefit. And you and I just did a podcast for mine, and you made a great point in there, which was, I think that often on our quote unquote hard training days, we're probably going too light, and uh, and our light days are probably obsolete. So really, just trying to engage and be present in the activity that you're doing could be the best ergogenic aid any of us use, as opposed to relying on some sort of a supplement. So yeah, there's a little bit of a tangent on the placebo effect, but that's what I thought of whenever you know you were highlighting that because you're right. Just thinking, even if we know it's a placebo, if we take something, we think, oh boy, here we go. This is really going to be all that it was conjured up to be. And that's, that is, again, goes back to why I don't traditionally recommend stuff because the data says, no, it, it doesn't, it doesn't work. And if you're experiencing it, you should keep using it if you like it, but it could very possibly just be a very pricey uh, placebo. We're like uh, almost 45 minutes into this and get it all <laughs> to what <laughs> to what I was like originally getting you on here for. So we're going to, we're going to skip a bunch of stuff. Here's like the, the short story for listeners. When we did a podcast, as we talked about four years ago, you were super kind and put together a free guide that we give away through the Exo Mountain Gear website. Um, and it, um, we titled it like food to fuel backcountry performance. Actually, sorry, that was the podcast um, that we did was food to fuel backcountry performance. But in the guide, I think we just called it backcountry nutrition guide. We had like basically um, a primer on, let's say we take you, the listener as an individual, you know, so you're of a certain height, certain weight, doing a certain endeavor pick like archery elk hunt and giving you some, some like basic tools on calculating your nutrition needs for that hunt. So based on your height, your weight, your activity level, things like that, this guide will help you do some super easy math to calculate a recommended range of total calories that you should then pack on the mountain. And then also there's discussion in there on what type of calories, meaning macronutrients such as, uh, carbs, fats, and proteins. Um, we did that years ago. We wanted to do an update to it. Kyle, you being you, you like took the stab at, yeah, let's up the, update the guide. And you threw so much information in there that number one, I was like, Kyle, this is great, but it's all way too much to digest. And number two, you're giving away like too much. <laughs> um, so anyway, we have updated the guide. It is a great primer on 
the simple things, like I said, that I believe people should consider to plan uh, food for especially multi-day adventures, whether it's a hunt or something similar in the mountains with some strategy and effectiveness. So that's for free. Go to xomountgear.com forward slash nutrition, or we'll leave a link in the show description. Um, and again, it's, it's customized to you, your pursuit, your weight. And then in there, um, and this is where Kyle, I made you pull out some of the extra resources. We have links to like an article you did on why timing can matter. So when you intake nutrition and what types of nutrition you intake at certain times, say on a multi-day adventure, um, there's links to uh, more information on like hydration and electrolytes, um, even some like DIY uh, electrolyte mixes you can make. Um, that's all linked from there. Again, this is all still free stuff, uh, but just linked from this guide. So if you guys want to check it out. Um, and then there's also a link to a guide that you wrote on dehydrating your own foods, like making your own meals um, for backpacking with a dehydrator. Um, that guide, again, Kyle, you started off as something super simple. And I think it ended up being what, like 60 something pages. Oh man, this is just typical Kyle camp fashion. Yeah, see, <laughs> I, it, same with like I started putting together the uh, you know the like the version two point of the guide for for the for the EXO site, and I was like, God, he's just gonna <laughs> he's gonna eat me alive on how long this is, which is great. It's just great. But the uh, yeah, so the dehydrating guide ended up being I think ninety seven pages long. Oh jeez. <laughs> so and that's something actually uh, you're gonna offer at a at a cost, a minimal cost, honestly, for what that sucker is, because it goes through everything from like selecting a dehydrator to what goods are, what foods are good to dehydrate, what aren't specific recommendations, recipes, et cetera. Like that's all in there. So I say all that to say to the listener, go to exomountaingear.com forward slash nutrition to get the updated guide to help you plan for soup, uh, for future trips. Um, and then also get links to those more advanced topics on, uh, nutrition, timing, hydration, electrolytes. And then if you're interested in getting started dehydrating, a link to purchase that guide as well. So we were going to talk more about that, but we're going to skip that because we're short on time. And honestly, the guide, I'm really happy with how it came out. Kyle of it is very simple and easy to digest at this point. Um, I wanted to use our remaining time a little bit to talk about, to talk about the death hike. So you're going on the death hike with us for the first time this year. Um, and it's one thing I think, Kyle, to hear you as a nutritionist, as an expert, talk about like science and this is what you should do based off of your professional knowledge. And basically, you know, kind of you spending a lot of time unintentionally talking about helping other people or developing strategies for other people. I'm just super curious to hear what are you doing? to prepare for the death hike, both from a bit of a training perspective, but I'd love to hear like kind of a nutrition plan, call to plan. If you want, you can talk about maybe the plan, but even some of, cause I know you've been doing a bunch of hikes and testing stuff for yourself as we just talked about of, I, I think I want to try like this food or this thing on the death hike, but let me try it on this Saturday when I'm going to go out and do a 15 mile training hike. So super open-ended, but basically how have you been training, planning, and preparing for the death hike. 
Yeah, that's a good question. So yeah, this, uh, you know, so the the death hike, at least as it's tallied right now is, um, I, th- I think I'm allowed to share this 60 some odd miles, 25,000 vertical feet of elevation, which will be a challenge for sure for me to say the least. And so on, on one hand, you know, half of my brain is reminding me there's, there's not a whole lot you can do to fully, you know, prepare for something like that, but it certainly is above just my baseline fitness level that I carry around year round, which isn't anything impressive. I just try to stay decently able to go do stuff I like to do. So it started really, I really started about 12 weeks ago and in a nutshell, because again, just like you highlighted with that guide, I have, I have the tendency to just rabbit hole into nuances. So I'll try to keep it general. In a nutshell, I, I really tried to work up my base of endurance, you know, so I went from basically doing 45 minutes, hour long workouts, four or five times a week, um, and steadily increased that to 10 hours a week to even longer. And so what that looked like was doing some periods of longer hikes, four hours to as many as seven plus hours, getting anywhere between 10 and 20 miles in and making sure that a lot of that covered a good chunk of elevation. So starting low and then building up from there just to reduce or try to mitigate any risk of overextending myself or, or overuse injuries. In addition to that, I added in some heavier pack stuff just to prepare my legs for that and some additional strength training stuff. Uh, and I will say this too, like I, one thing that I have done differently this go around compared to, uh, past go rounds is I have tried to exhaust myself less. I've tried to be smarter about it, not lifting quite as heavy. I'm not trying to set PRs on my lifts. I'm trying to just focus on very good form and probably even finish my repetitions with some gas still in the tank, as opposed to completely max out, maxing out my, uh, my full ability. And a lot of this was guidance from someone that I, I work with, um, on the mountaineering side of things. So I do all the nutrition coordination for, um, a, um, companies called summit strength. I, uh, I consult with all of his, all of his nutrition for a lot of his folks going on big adventures. And so I said, Hey, you know, we've become good friends after being working colleagues for a while and said, Hey, you know, I'm doing this. I don't know what I don't know for something like this. I mean, I can dabble in it enough to figure it out, but I don't know what I don't know. And so that led to me actually maxing myself out less than usual. And my legs feel so much better at longer distances than they ever have in times past. So from the training standpoint, I would say that that is dramatically different than the way that I've approached it in the past. And so far it's worked really, really well on the nutrition front, because, you know, covering that amount of miles, we've basically got 48 hours to do it in. That means we're going to spend a lot of time on our feet. And going back to that guide, one of the key pieces with trail nutrition is not only total doses. So in in the guide, it talks about totals and timing. It's not just knowing your nutrition totals, but it's making sure that those totals are getting replaced with frequency, right? Because if you drain the tank and you're not refilling the tank for four hours, that tank's empty and it's inevitable that you're going to hit a wall. So for me, it's looking at, okay, how often do I want to try to be eating something and how can I add some decent variety in throughout that duration? So testing things, because as much as I love gummy bears, I don't want to subsist on 
you know, packages upon packages upon packages upon packages of gummy bears for 48 hours. So trying to test different things that'll pack well, that have a good, um, the nerdy speak would be metabolic rate, uh, has a good rate of breakdown to deliver fuel to me, um, but also offer variety. So yeah, I've played with, I mean, just all sorts of stuff from like, baking muffins and putting honey on them while hiking because they're relatively easy to eat to eating packaged cereals with dried fruits to gummy bears to electrolyte mixes to fruit to all sorts of different things and honestly it's been fun i mean i enjoy i try to enjoy on trips like this and even preparing for hunting season i try to enjoy the entire process so i started in march roughly we'll go and we'll go in june and i've tried every week just to enjoy the entire process as opposed to having my you know my my eyes set on june for three days and then it's over it's been fun to play with things and and sort of not you know so not only see how it affects me personally but it's really, really good for me to put into a practical sense what I'm telling other people to do so I can remember. And there's been some times where like I've tried something and thought, okay, I've, I may have recommended this in the past, but I need to change this. Um, so it's good for me on both an application perspective and a prep perspective. Give me three to five things, not including gummy bears that you know at this point you will take on the death hike oh gosh you don't have to be that's, fancy just like it could be random but three to five things you know is going to be in your food bag that's a good that's a good question i'm actually looking at my spreadsheet now which is a dynamic spreadsheet never changing so there will be definitely be a bag of pop tarts there will definitely be this is my all-time favorite and it's very juvenile but i love it some sort of dried kids cereal with fruit in it like usually raisins and like golden grams or bananas and golden grams dehydrated bananas and golden grams that's the jam i did that on our 100 mile death hike the yeah uh, golden grams and then bananas i dehydrate them like with some cinnamon so good yeah i uh yeah i I every day look forward to that in my food bag. <laughs> so that'll definitely be in there. And then I don't know, I'm going back and forth between these bars that I made and um, some muffins that I made. And, you know, so I would imagine the, the average person may say, well, why not just buy one? What's so special about these bars? The only thing quote unquote special is that I have I have tailored the recipe and the portion size to fit the need, right? So the amount of carbs that I need in a certain, in an amount of time, I know that this bar equals exactly that versus if I buy something that's already been produced and I've got to eat two of them and carry more and blah, 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 blah. So this lets me um, really tailor the portion size, just pack it, not have to question it and then go on my way. So those three things will definitely be in there. And then I also picked up some individual little packets of honey to squirt on top of, of stuff. And uh, I'm sure there will be a lot of those in there too. Cool. I should ask you what's in yours. I don't know yet, Kyle. I've been, I've been uh, killing bears. Yeah, I've been killing bears. I've been procrastinating. <laughs> um no for sure it's funny like pop tarts um definitely will do cereal and dehydrated fruit um i picked up some of those honey packets after seeing you recommend them or not recommend them at least use them um i'll do some like some uh calories and carbs that i can get in a liquid form so something like tailwind would be the the gucci performance version or potentially tang something like that um yeah, a lot of a lot of the bases will be there. Um, 
I'll probably mix in beyond just the fruit and the cereal, do some other fruit, um, like a dehydrated fruit. Uh, yeah, I'm still making some decisions for sure. I still like, um, going back to bars. I just basically don't have the time to make them. Um, why am I drawing a blank? I really like Bobo spars, which are like oat based just from a pure, like taste and enjoyment perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and then those big sir bars, which I've talked about, which are super calorie dense. Um, again, that's more from, a not super strategic on like picking apart the calories and the macros, but just going, it's a good amount of calories that I pretty much know, regardless of how I'm feeling, I can eat, um, can eat that. And even like on those, you know, what I've found, especially with like those big sir bars is because one bar is, I think like, I don't know, 650 calorie, like they're dense. Um, I will usually eat that over a period of time. Um, and so just getting kind of a couple bites in here and there, maybe eat that one bar over call it three different little snacks. Um, mm-hmm. it's just a strategy I've used a lot and it just, it works. It sounds good. feels good. Um, yeah, we'll see. And they are delicious. Those they bars, delicious. those fixer bars are, are really good. Yeah. It's another thing kind of like, uh, kind of like pop tarts. Like the only time I eat them is on, you know, like a backpack hunter in this case, something like the death hype, but maybe, maybe I should work on an affiliate program with pop tarts and big Sur rather than, <laughs> there you go. Rather than the supplement market. Forget what we said earlier about supplements. I have an affiliate right. program. If you I use the code word V2P at big I'm just joking. That's not real. Uh, I wish uh, it was. I keep, I keep waiting for Haribo to send me a check, but <laughs> so far, nothing. Oh man. Well, while you're waiting for that check, if people want to get in contact with you, give us all the goods, website, social media, podcast where people can. Uh, and since we made you get an email address four years ago, I guess we should <laughs> give that away as well. But yeah, yeah. If, if people hear this and they're interested in learning more, uh, whether that's, I would say about working with you, but I, you know, there's a ton, 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 ton of free information that you give away on yeah. a crazy consistent basis. So where can people get all that? Yeah, I, you know, I try to give away as much free stuff as possible, and then if somebody feels like, hey, you know, I think I might want a little more guidance, then of course that's that's there. And for as for as deep of a dive as I like to go with nutrition, I, everything with the social media is pretty basic. Everything is funneled under Valley to Peak or V two P Nutrition, uh, and then the two is is the number two. So like V two P Nutrition The email address is info at V two P Nutrition Social media handles are V two P Nutrition. Podcast is Valley to Peak Nutrition Podcast, and you will see uh, you'll see a guest on there who you might as well just be considered the co-host at this point. Um, <laughs> we've got quite a few episodes in there, so yeah, I think that the uh, the guide plus this podcast plus some of the podcasts we recorded on endurance fueling on that man, that I just feel like if I had no nutrition knowledge, that would be. I feel like we've given away the house in between all of these things. So hopefully you guys can find it useful and apply it and build their own plans and, and see some dramatic improvement in their energy and their performance levels on the mountain. Well, that's a wrap guys. Don't forget to go get the backcountry fuel guide. It's free. Just go to the link in the show description. While you're also down there, you can check out other links from Kyle, follow him on social media, subscribe to his podcast and more. There's a ton of valuable information out there for you guys for free from Valley to Peak Nutrition. As always, we appreciate you tuning in. If you have any questions for us, you can send an email to podcast at dexomountaingear.com 
or leave us an audio message. It's quick and easy on your device. Just look for the link in the show description that says leave us a message. Also, if you haven't yet, hit that subscribe or follow button in your podcast app so that you receive future episodes automatically, and we'll talk to you soon.